0: All right, good morning. Welcome to Christ Church, a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. I'm Pastor Andrew. I'm glad you're here now. Joining us perhaps in the West Auditorium. Maybe you're joining us in East this morning. Good morning. Thanks for being in worship and worshiping in East, or perhaps you're joining us online. Thanks for being part of Christ Church today. It's good to have you in worship today. We are in this sermon series called Relational Vampires. Relational Vampires has to do with loving the people— who suck the life out of you. We are acknowledging as a Christian people that there are a bunch of uh, people in our world and in our environments and having to do with our relationships where they are people who are often a drain on our time, our energy, our money, our resources. And the question becomes, what do we do with all the vampires that are running loose in our world And how do we treat them? How do we navigate them? Or more specifically, how do we love them? We're on week three. So this is an ongoing conversation. This is the type of sermon series that builds on itself. And so if you missed any of the previous sermons, just an invitation, go back and watch them. Go check them out. We're on week three. And as we're on week three, we're going to be talking about what it looks like when those vampires actually live in the same house as us. What do we do when a vampire is a family member or a close friend that you've known for decades? How do you love those people when they are close to you and yet they are also sucking the life out of you? Now, a couple quick reminders as well up front, my caveats for you particular to this sermon series. One, this is an incomplete conversation. Not everything that can be said will be said. I'm going to be using broad generalities and broad perspectives, but hopefully this will be encouraging, edifying, and helpful for you. Also, another thing, my goal as a pastor is to help you gain understanding as well as practical application tips and equipping. And lastly, I recognize particularly today, we are talking about real people. Just a reminder for you, vampires are people too. We've been talking about that, right? Vampires are people too, and specifically I recognize this morning that I may be talking about Your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. You may be talking about a child. You may be talking about someone who is close to you, you've known your entire life and grew up with. I recognize that these are people whom you love. And so please, as I communicate this morning, I'm asking for a special measure of grace. I'm asking for grace in my communication so that I am not misunderstood. And if you need to have further conversation with me, please reach out so that we can do that and have that conversation. Or better yet, uh, if you find that in the conversation today some things are stirring you up and you need to talk to someone like now, just a reminder for you as well, we have people waiting for you in the chapel who are available for prayer and listening and uh, prayer partners who can begin already that process of understanding of the significance of whatever the Spirit might be doing in your heart and in your life today. So those are my caveats. Let's get ready. Let's dive back in to relational vampires. It is about loving, loving the people who suck the life out of you. We stress that word loving because this series is not intended to train you into Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is intended to train you in how you can better love the people around you even if they are difficult to love. And we do that. We do that as Christian people, specifically those of us who ascribe to the Christian tradition, because we recognize that we were first loved by our God. Love for us as Christians is very important, very big. It's a meaningful word. In fact, it's a singular word that we use to best encapsulate the very character and essence of our God. So when we talk about love, it's a big deal. And our desire, our heart, our burden, our responsibility and calling as Christian people for those of us who ascribe to the tradition is to love these vampires. In saying that, understanding and knowing what love looks like, however, is something we've been trying to address. We don't want to have a small or limited perspective on what love is, but we want a more robust nuanced healthy perspective on what love is and love includes limits we talked about this previously as well that in order to love specifically the vampires in our world it often means loving them by placing healthy and constructive boundaries and limits that allow them to flourish and allow us to flourish This is how you love them. And in order to place those limitations and those healthy boundaries, it means having a meaningful conversation, and it means having a plan, a plan and a conversation with them, collaborating with them and engaging those vampires, a plan that will affect you as well as affecting them as you implement those limitations and healthy boundaries. Now, this becomes further nuanced, however, when we ask the question of, does that same biblical framework and that same understanding of love apply when the vampire lives in my house? When the vampire is my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, my adult child, my young child, my close friend, do the same principles and practices still work and apply? It's a fair question to ask. Because these relationships are meaningful to you, it is worth pausing and clarifying. The simple answer is yes. Everything that we've talked about from a biblical and Christian perspective applies in these situations as well, that limitations are a part of the way in which you love even those close to you. However, because they are close to you, we need to give closer attention to the conversation and the plan that we need to implement when we talk with them. Let's begin by asking the question more clearly, what are the caricatures, situations, what are the possible scenarios that you might be dealing with? Here are some broad-based caricatures that you might be in these sort of situations, and scenarios where you're dealing with vampires sucking the life out of you. Maybe you're dealing with an aging parent who is stubborn and refusing to embrace uh, the reality of their declining health, and they're holding on to uh, this strong desire for independence. It's not that that's bad in and of itself, but if it's having a toll on you and your relationship because it's all they talk about and all they dwell with and all you think about, etc., then it's sucking the life out of you and that needs to be addressed. Maybe it's an adult child where they are sucking you down not only emotionally but also financially. Maybe they stay, they're not good at money management and so they keep coming back to you asking mom and dad for more money to keep them uh, floating. What do you do about that, mom and dad? That's a tough one to navigate. Maybe it's a teenage child who's in the throes of the hormonal rage that's going on and, and it's just just the overly emotional, Uh, Realities that can happen in a household where things are said that can be hurtful. Things are said that can cause uh, scars and damage emotionally either to yourself or those others in your household. And so how do you help that teenager navigate and what do you do to help them be healthier in regards to that? Maybe it's dealing with a young kid who's getting addicted to screen time. Maybe it's dealing with a friend you've known forever who's increasingly becoming uh, critical in life, whether it's critical of the community or critical of work or critical of politics or just has that critical critical spirit being more present in their lives. Whatever it might be, any of these scenarios, these are people that we love in special and unique ways. And therefore, it is worth spending the extra time of examining how to have the conversation and asking the question of how to have a healthy, good plan that you can implement and apply in these sort of scenarios. Let me take you into some guiding principles when you have the, the conversation piece. When you sit down with them. And we talked about this last week. That, that there are some basics that you need to do. You need to be direct, you need to be honest, so forth. But but when it comes to someone who is close to you, there, there are some additional things that you can consider when you have the conversation. First off, this is a conversation that is going to address the conflict that you have. This is not a passing comment with a coworker, but an intentional sit-down situation. No phones, no TV, no kids running around. You don't want to do this while you're, while you're distracted in any way. You want to give the conversation the space that it needs so that you can address the conflict. You need to address the messiness of what's going on. Just a reminder for you, as Christian people, We embrace the mess. We're not afraid of messiness. God isn't afraid of messiness. In fact, God embraces the messiness of humanity, and we should too. We are called to engage in the conversation in such a way that gives full credence to the messy, broken reality that you're dealing with a vampire. This is not something you avoid. This is something you embrace. And as you embrace the messiness, we do this in the same way that God embraces us in our messiness. Love. Hopefully, you have been hearing consistently throughout the entire sermon series this overarching refrain again and again and again. As you are about to have a conversation with this person, you need to ground yourself that you love your mom you love your dad you love your brother or sister etc and what you're striving to do is love them even better sometimes it can be helpful particularly to name this love to tell them that you are committed to them and their well-being that when you sit down across the table from each other and as you're having this conversation you just start by saying hey i love you I care about you. You matter to me. That's why I want to have this conversation because I love you. Doing that does two things. One, it reinforces in yourself that you love this person. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that we love them. You know what I'm saying? It gets hard dealing with a vampire day in and day out. And so it is healthy and it is helpful for us to articulate not only to them but to ourselves, I love this person and I'm committed to them and their healthiness. The second thing it does is actually does address them and hopefully assuages any fear, any concerns, any anxiety that they might have. What's this conversation going to be about? Why do we need to talk? Sometimes, we talked about this, vampires don't even have the self-awareness to realize the damage they're causing. And so by you beginning the conversation, by sitting down and saying, hey, I love you and I'm committed to you no matter what, that will hopefully help Give breathing space for the conversation in front of you. So, articulate your love for them. Do it often and do it early in the conversation. Second thing that you need to be aware of as you enter into this conversation is that we are people of grace, Christians specifically. This word grace is also incredibly important to us. This is not a conversation where you are going to be sitting down with them and rehashing old stuff. You're not going to be talking about all the baggage and the frustrations and the problems of the last weeks and well, how they're a really screwed up vampire. That's not the goal. In fact, As you get into the conversation, even before you have the conversation, pause and forgive them. Enter into a spirit and a disposition of forgiveness towards them. In the same way that God loves you, we now love others, so also it is with grace and forgiveness. God has forgiven us as Christian people he has forgiven you and so in turn you get to emulate and bring forward that same forgiveness in dealing with this particular person don't rehash old problems and old frustrations but instead focus on how you can move the relationship forward reconciled together in step that's the goal to move them and you towards more healthiness in life and in relationships. And so you might need to forgive them. You may, in the context of the conversation, need to extend forgiveness. You also may need to ask for forgiveness, to have a disposition of humility and seek forgiveness from them, even if you don't think you are justified in doing so or need to, It is sometimes best for the sake of the relationship so that the vampire can hear you and receive you that you adopt that spirit of humility. This is the Bible, what we talked about a little bit last week out of Philippians, the attitude of Christ. And Philippians 2 talks about adopting the mind of Christ and how Christ considered himself a servant and a slave unto others. So this has to do with how we frame our hearts. The Bible says in Colossians, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive just in the same way that the Lord has forgiven you. And so as you enter the conversation, do so with grace. And if it is appropriate, name that grace and articulate that grace. Last thing that I want to lift up for you as you engage in this conversation and that is truth. When we have these types of conversations, we do not shy away from the truth. Once again, we are people of love. We are people of grace. We are also people of truth. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christians aren't afraid to name the hard truths. And in these particular cases, they often need to be named. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to throw it in their face. This doesn't mean that you're not kind or generous in how you describe the truth, but you need to get around to the truth that if they continue in their current habits, if they keep acting like vampires, there are realities to that, consequences to that. And that's why you want to have the conversation. The Bible talks about this in the framework of reaping and sowing. It says in Galatians, you always harvest whatever it is that you plant, right? And the principle there is that, you know, it, it actually continues. It says, look, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap from the spirit. And it's that principle. And, and, and we're Wisconsinites, we're farmers, we get this whole thing, right? Sowing and reaping. The idea that, If you continue to have bad habits and behaviors, you are going to reap the consequences of lost relationships, lost healthiness. You're going to alienate yourself from the other members of our family. If you don't get your finances under control, you're going to be in a worse situation down the line. And so we need to address the challenge and the behaviors that are presented before us. So as Christian people, we're not afraid to name that truth. It is, in a sense, a warning that if things don't change, it's only going to get worse. These are the three guiding principles that I encourage you in that have to be at the forefront of your mind and heart. Rewatch this sermon before you sit down and have that conversation. Write them on a little note card for yourself. Keep this in front of you so that you enter the conversation in the most healthy and from the most spirit-oriented way, Christian way, you possibly can. All right, that's conversation. Let's give a little bit more attention in detail to the plan. When you have these conversations, I'm going to offer up to you some advice and some insight from a biblical perspective on how to have some practices when you develop a plan with this vampire. When A plan is something that we can see as a set of promises that's going to address the problem. Okay, A plan is where they promise to do X, Y, and Z, and oftentimes you have to promise as well X, Y, and Z to move them towards healthiness. These are often the limitations that have to be promised to and adhered henceforth. This is an agreement, a set of promises. The old-fashioned term in the Bible is covenant. You ever heard of that term before, covenant? It's particular in the Old Testament as an example. Uh, God looked at humanity and said, whoa, humanity, this is messy. We got to fix this. If y'all stop being vampires, we can fix this, God says. And this is how we're going to do it. And so he actually comes to specifically the Jewish people and he says, here are a set of laws, here are a set of regulations, here are a set of limitations that you can adopt into your life that are going to keep you from being unhealthy. And so he gives the Ten Commandments. And on top of that, he gives 603 more for a total of 613 laws to this very day that form the basis for the Jewish religion. He gives it to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's it's a beautiful example of what is referred to in the Bible as the covenant covenant. We as Christian people see this as the old covenant because it is God's attempt by using these specific laws and regulations to help course correct humanity's behavior. And when God did this plan, he was smart because as soon as the plan was made and the limitations agreed upon, you know what he told Moses to do? Moses was kind of the arbiter. He said, Moses... Exodus 34, write down, write down all these instructions for they represent the terms of the covenant that I'm making with you and with Israel. So write this down. That way you've got clarity. That way you have a reference point. This is a great word of advice, guys. We can pick this up from God. This is a smart one. If you have a plan with somebody who's a vampire in your household, write it down. Get it in physical writing. So that everybody knows the steps that are being taken. Second thing that you can do is resource it. God does this as well with the people of Israel. He says, look, I'm going to give you what you need so that you can live into this practice. I'm going to give you the things that you need. Here are two things that you can have to help you uh, live into the plan. I'll give you a place to worship. And I'm going to give you a set of priests, and they're going to help keep you focused on the plan. They're going to keep you spiritually healthy, and hopefully by being spiritually healthy, that will apply into the rest of your life. You see it in Exodus 29. Yes, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar, a, a sacred space of worship, and I will co- consecrate or bless Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Okay? And the same is going to be true in regards to our own practices with, with, with our, 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 our vampires. If mom needs a life alert in order to move her closer to being healthy in regards to her independence, get her a life alert. If your teenager is having these emotional outbursts and one of the things that you can do is agree to getting ongoing therapy, get her a good counselor and pay for it. Get them the tools, get them the resources that they're going to need to be as healthy as they can And fulfill the plan. And the last thing regarding plans is the hardest, and that is to follow it. Once you've got the plan in place, you must follow it. And when I say follow it, I mean all the way through. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it means consequences, even when it's on you, and particularly when it's on you to fulfill your end of the deal, of following through on the consequences and the warnings, you've got to do it. You have to work the plan. You can track the plan with benchmarks, but you have to be willing to follow it all the way through. The Bible tells us this when people in humanity, the Jewish people, stopped adhering to that covenant. And they started doing a bunch of wonky things, and they, they, they lost regard for the 613 commandments that God gave them, the agreement. God sent the prophets to say, hey, whoa, 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 we agreed. You're off track here. And the people did it anyways, and so God fulfilled the consequences. And he sent them into what is referred to biblically as the Babylonian exile. This is the Bible's... Period of time where the Jewish people hit rock bottom. You ever hit rock bottom before? The entire Jewish nation hit rock bottom when the consequences came to pass. Doesn't mean that God didn't love them, He did. The way that He loved them was by allowing the plan to unfold and the consequences to come to pass. It was a wake up call for the Jewish people. And it was a turning point in their theology, in their practice, and in their faith where they turned away from their evil practices and began to focus again on their God. There are literally entire books of the Bible dedicated to how this unfolds. The same principle is true for us. When you make an agreement you must be ready to follow it all the way through. Even if it means difficult consequences for those that you love. Sometimes we need to hit rock bottom. Remember this. Only that which is dead can be resurrected. Only that which is dead and can no longer animate itself, move forward, keep it together. I mean, that's what death is, coming to the end of yourself. Only that which is dead can experience new life and resurrection. And so sometimes people have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death in order to come and experience new life. This is part of the way that we love people. I realize that is a hard word, but we don't shy away from the truth. It is still love. So these are the three guiding practices for implementing a plan. Write it out, give it the resources that the person needs, and then follow it. And the hope is that by doing these sort of things, the vampire will begin to change and transform and you'll begin to see behavior movement. There is one final thing that I have to address and that is the sad reality that sometimes you have to repeat plans. You have to course correct your plans or plans just flat out fail. When this happens, this is the methodology that I'm going to recommend to you very quickly that you embrace as you have ongoing conversations and have to revisit more conversations with a person. The first time that I sit down with a person and I do counseling of any kind, whether it's about their marriage, whether it's about their kids, whether it's about their money, this is the formula that I follow. I do this at home with my own children when they're misbehaving. The first thing I say is, well, how are we going to correct this? What's your plan? What are your ideas? What are you willing to do and what do you think is right, good, and appropriate to bring about change and transformation? And oftentimes they have quick answers to that plan. And if it works, great, hallelujah. You ain't got no more vampires to worry about. Well done. But the hard reality is sometimes their plans fail. And they have to come back to the table. And the second time, you have a lot more to say. It becomes a collaboration of developing a plan together where you have more input on the limitations and the expectations. It's a collaborative exchange. And you work the plan. And if the plan works and you don't have a vampire in your house anymore, hallelujah. But if it fails a third time, now it is your plan. It is your responsibility to come up with a plan, and it must be done your way. Whether that's rehab, whether that's the decision to move you into assisted living, whether you want to or not, whether that is a situation we're now on, I control all of your finances, they must be gone through me legally. It is my plan, and this is how it's going to work. Interestingly enough, this too is actually a pattern that we find in the Bible. We find in the very beginning that when humanity was messy, God made promises to Abraham that Abraham would do incredible things for you, through you, and with you. And Abraham's like, cool. And then he began living his life, but there wasn't a lot of movement within humanity as a whole towards faithful living, towards God, so that's why God had to come back to the table and say with Moses, hey, humanity, things aren't working right here. Here are some limitations that I'm going to ask of you. Here are 613 laws. And the people said, yeah, good, can do. And then humanity continued to do what we're so good at, making mistakes and messing up and being about ourselves. And so God developed a third and final plan. And in this plan, there was no choice for humanity. God determined that God would do it for the well being of humanity, for you, for me. He decided to come in the person of Jesus Christ to teach us, love us, to get up close with us, get his hands dirty in our lives, to forgive us, to love and forgive you, and claim you as his child. And to tell you, there is a better way to live. Don't be a vampire. But live as my child. And in his grace, and in his mercy, in his truth, in his love, God has asserted his power and his love in our lives to claim us as his own resurrect us, and transform us. Next week, we are going to continue the conversation by looking at the reality of when we ourselves have some of those vampire tendencies. When we look like the vampire in the mirror, what do we do, and how do we allow God to love us and others love us, and how do we even love ourselves? I want to invite you back for that continued conversation. But for the moment, my hope and prayer is that you have been equipped with both an understanding and with some practical tools that you can carry forward to help you manage the various vampires, even the vampires that are close to you, your family and friends. For the moment, let's conclude with prayer. Please pray with me. Gracious and eternal Father, holy and sanctifying Spirit, Jesus, risen, resurrected. Humbly, we come before you this morning acknowledging the ways in which we have failed, the ways in which we have, in our own brokenness, made this world messy. And yet, in your goodness and in your grace and your truth, you have confronted us with that along with your love. And so we welcome your love. We embrace your love. We say hallelujah, thank you that you would love us and you would claim us as your children today through the power and the inspiration of your Holy Spirit work in us to empower us and equip us to better love others to be a beacon of that same grace and truth in this world. Grant us the wisdom and the wise words and the thoughtful planning that is particularly needed when someone is close to us a parent, a sibling, a child, a friend. Lord, help us love them well in the same way that you have loved us. Encourage us, Lord, we ask and pray in those moments. Grant us the patience, the courage, and the right hearts to lean into what it means to be your child and to love people the way you do. Gracious and eternal Father, we pray and ask these things, trusting in your love for us. It is in your Son's name. Amen.